Chapters thirty five and thirty six of A House of Gentlefolk by Ivan Turgenev. Translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty five. The reader knows how Lavretsky grew up and developed. Let us say a few words about Lisa's education. She was in her tenth year when her father died, but he had not troubled himself much about her. Weighed down with business cares, forever anxious for the increase of his property, bilious, sharp, and impatient, he gave money unsparingly for the teachers, tutors, dress, and other necessities of his children. But he could not endure, as he expressed it, to be dandling his squalors, and indeed had no time to dandle them. He worked, took no rest from business, slept little, rarely played cards, and worked again. He compared himself to a horse harnessed to a threshing machine. My life has soon come to an end, was his comment on his deathbed with a bitter smile on his parched lips. Maria Dmitrievna did not in reality trouble herself about Lisa any more than her husband, though she had boasted to Lavretsky that she alone had educated her children. She dressed her up like a doll, stroked her on the head before visitors, and called her a clever child and a darling to her face, and that was all. Any kind of continuous care was too exhausting for the indolent lady. During her father's lifetime, Lisa was in the hands of a governess, Mademoiselle Moreau, from Paris. After his death, she passed into the charge of Marfa Timofeevna. Marfa Timofeevna, the reader knows already. Mademoiselle Moreau was a tiny wrinkled creature with little bird-like ways and a bird's intellect. In her youth she had led a very dissipated life, but in old age she had only two passions left, gluttony and cards. When she had eaten her fill, and was neither playing cards nor chattering, her face assumed an expression almost death-like. She was sitting, looking, breathing, yet it was clear that there was not an idea in her head. One could not even call her good-natured. Birds are not good-natured. Either as a result of her frivolous youth, or of the air of Paris which she had breathed from childhood, a kind of cheap universal scepticism had found its way into her, usually expressed by the words, to sacer de bêtises. She spoke ungrammatically, but in a pure Parisian jargon did not talk scandal, and had no caprices. What more can one desire in a governess? Over Lisa she had little influence. All the stronger was the influence on her of her nurse, Agafya Vlasyevna. This woman's story was remarkable. She came of a peasant family. She was married at sixteen to a peasant, but she was strikingly different from her peasant sisters. Her father had been twenty years starosta, and had made a good deal of money, and he spoiled her. 
she was exceptionally beautiful the best dressed girl in the whole district clever ready with her tongue and daring her master dmitri pestov maria dmitrievna's father a man of modest and gentle character saw her one day at the threshing-floor talked to her and fell passionately in love with her she was soon left a widow pestov though he was a married man took her into his house and dressed her like a lady agafya at once adapted herself to her new position just as if she had never lived differently all her life she grew fairer and plumper her arms grew as flowery white under her muslin sleeves as a merchant's ladies the samovar never left her table she would wear nothing except silk or velvet and slept on well-stuffed feather beds this blissful existence lasted for five years but dmitri pestov died his widow a kind-hearted woman out of regard for the memory of the deceased did not wish to treat her rival unfairly all the more because agafya had never forgotten herself in her presence she married her however to a shepherd and sent her a long way off three years passed it happened one hot summer day that her mistress in driving past stopped at the cattle-yard agafya regaled her with such delicious cool cream behaved so modestly and was so neat so bright and so contented with everything that her mistress signified her forgiveness to her and allowed her to return to the house within six months she had become so much attached to her that she raised her to be housekeeper and entrusted the whole household management to her agafya again returned to power and again grew plump and fair her mistress put the most complete confidence in her so passed five years more misfortune again overtook agafya her husband whom she had promoted to be a footman began to drink took to vanishing from the house and ended by stealing six of the mistress's silver spoons and hiding them till a favorable moment in his wife's box it was opened he was sent to be a shepherd again and agafya fell into disgrace she was not turned out of the house but was degraded from housekeeper to being a sewing woman and was ordered to wear a kerchief on her head instead of a cap to the astonishment of every one agafya accepted with humble resignation the blow that had fallen upon her she was at that time about thirty all her children were dead and her husband did not live much longer the time had come for her to reflect and she did reflect she became very silent and devout never missed a single matin service nor a single mass and gave away all her fine clothes she spent fifteen years quietly peacefully and soberly never quarrelling with anyone and giving way to everyone if anyone scolded her she only bowed to them and thanked them for their admonition her mistress had long ago forgiven her raised her out of disgrace 
and made her a present of a cap of her own but she was herself unwilling to give up the kerchief and always wore a dark dress after her mistress's death she became still more quiet and humble a russian readily feels fear and affection but it is hard to gain his respect it is not soon given not to everyone for agafya every one in the home had great respect no one even remembered her previous sins as though they had been buried with the old master when kalitin became maria dmitrievna's husband he wanted to entrust the care of the house to agafya but she refused on account of temptation he scolded her but she bowed humbly and left the room kalitin was clever in understanding men he understood agafya and did not forget her when he moved to the town he gave her with her consent the place of nurse to lisa who was only just five years old lisa was at first frightened by the austere and serious face of her new nurse but she soon grew used to her and began to love her she was herself a serious child her features recalled kalitin's decided and regular profile only her eyes were not her father's they were lighted up by a gentle attentiveness and goodness rare in children she did not care to play with dolls never laughed loudly or for long and behaved with great decorum she was not often thoughtful but when she was it was almost always with some reason after a short silence she usually turned to some grown-up person with a question which showed that her brain had been at work upon some new impression she very early got over childish lispings and by the time she was four years old spoke perfectly plainly she was afraid of her father her feeling towards her mother was undefinable she was not afraid of her nor was she demonstrative to her but she was not demonstrative even towards agafya though she was the only person she loved agafya never left her it was curious to see them together agafya all in black with a dark handkerchief on her head her face thin and transparent as wax but still beautiful and expressive would be sitting upright knitting a stocking lisa would sit at her feet in a little armchair also busied over some kind of work and seriously raising her clear eyes listening to what agafya was relating to her and agafya did not tell her stories but in even measured accents she would narrate the life of the holy virgin the lives of hermits saints and holy men she would tell lisa how the holy men lived in deserts how they were saved how they suffered hunger and want and did not fear kings but confessed christ how fowls of the air brought them food and wild beasts listened to them and flowers sprang up on the spots where their blood had been spilt wallflowers asked lisa one day she was very fond of flowers agafya spoke to lisa gravely and meekly 
as though she felt herself to be unworthy to utter such high and holy words lisa listened to her and the image of the all-seeing all-knowing god penetrated with a kind of sweet power into her very soul filling it with pure and reverent awe but christ became for her something near well known almost familiar agafya taught her to pray also sometimes she wakened lisa early at daybreak dressed her hurriedly and took her in secret to matins lisa followed her on tiptoe almost holding her breath the cold and twilight of the early morning the freshness and emptiness of the church the very secrecy of these unexpected expeditions the cautious return home and to her little bed all these mingled impressions of the forbidden strange and holy agitated the little girl and penetrated to the very innermost depths of her nature agafya never censured anyone and never scolded lisa for being naughty when she was displeased at anything she only kept silence and lisa understood this silence with a child's quick-sightedness she knew very well too when agafya was displeased with other people marya dmitrievna or kalitin himself for a little over three years agafya waited on lisa then mademoiselle moreau replaced her but the frivolous french woman with her cold ways and exclamation tour ça c'est deux bêtises could never dislodge her dear nurse from lisa's heart the seeds that had been dropped into it had become too deeply rooted besides though agafya no longer waited on lisa she was still in the house and often saw her charge who believed in her as before agafya did not however get on well with marfa timofyevna when she came to live in the kalitin's house such gravity and dignity on the part of one who had once worn the motley skirt of a peasant wench displeased the impatient and self-willed old lady agafya asked leave to go on a pilgrimage and she never came back there were dark rumours that she had gone off to a retreat of sectaries but the impression she had left in lisa's soul was never obliterated she went as before to the mass as to a festival she prayed with rapture with a kind of restrained and shamefaced transport at which marya dmitrievna secretly marvelled not a little and even marfa timofyevna though she did not restrain lisa in any way tried to temper her zeal and would not let her make too many prostrations to the earth in her prayers it was not a ladylike habit she would say in her studies lisa worked well that is to say perseveringly she was not gifted with specially brilliant abilities or great intellect she could not succeed in anything without labor she played the piano well but only lem knew what it had cost her she had read little she had not words of her own but she had her own ideas and she went her own way it was not only on the surface that she took after her father he too had never asked other people what was to be done so she had grown up tranquilly and restfully 
till she had reached the age of nineteen. She was very charming, without being aware of it herself. Her every movement was full of spontaneous, somewhat awkward gracefulness. Her voice had the silver ring of untouched youth. The least feeling of pleasure called forth an enchanting smile on her lips and added a deep light and a kind of mystic sweetness to her kindling eyes. Penetrated through and through by a sense of duty, by the dread of hurting anyone whatever, with a kind and tender heart, she had loved all men, and no one in particular. God only she had loved passionately, timidly, and tenderly. Lavretsky was the first to break in upon her peaceful inner life. Such was Lisa. Chapter 36 on the following day, at twelve o'clock, Lavretsky set off to the Kalitins. On the way he met Panshin, who galloped past him on horseback, his hat pulled down to his very eyebrows. At the Kalitins, Lavretsky was not admitted for the first time since he had been acquainted with them. Maria Dmitrievna was resting, so the footman informed him. Her Excellency had a headache. Marfa Timofyevna and Lizaveta Mikhailovna were not at home. Lavretsky walked round the garden in the faint hope of meeting Lisa, but he saw no one. He came back two hours later and received the same answer, accompanied by a rather dubious look from the footman. Lavretsky thought it would be unseemly to call for a third time the same day, and he decided to drive over to Vasilyevskaya, where he had business moreover. On the road he made various plans for the future, each better than the last, but he was overtaken by a melancholy mood when he reached his aunt's little village. He fell into conversation with Anton. The old man, as if purposely, seemed full of cheerless fancies. He told Lavretsky how, at her death, Glafira Petrovna had bitten her own arm and, after a brief pause, added with a sigh, every man dear master is destined to devour himself it was late when lavretsky set off on the way back he was haunted by the music of the day before and lisa's image returned to him in all its sweet distinctness he mused with melting tenderness over the thought that she loved him and reached his little house in the town soothed and happy the first thing that struck him as he went into the entrance hall was a scent of patchouli, always distasteful to him. There were some high-travelling trunks standing there. The face of his groom who ran out to meet him seemed strange to him. Not stopping to analyse his impressions, he crossed the threshold of the drawing-room. On his entrance there rose from the sofa a lady in a black silk dress with flounces who, raising a cambric handkerchief to her pale face, made a few paces forward, bent her carefully dressed, perfumed head, and fell at his feet. Then only he recognized her. This lady was his wife. He caught his breath. He leaned against the wall. Theodore, 
do not repulse me she said in french and her voice cut to his heart like a knife he looked at her senselessly and yet he noticed involuntarily at once that she had grown both whiter and fatter theodore she went on from time to time lifting her eyes and discreetly wringing her marvellously beautiful fingers with their rosy polished nails theodore i have wronged you deeply wronged you i will say more i have sinned but hear me i am tortured by remorse i have grown hateful to myself i could endure my position no longer how many times have i thought of turning to you but i feared your anger i resolved to break every tie with the past i have been so ill she added and passed her hand over her brow and cheek i took advantage of the widely spread rumour of my death i gave up everything without resting day or night i hastened hither i hesitated long to appear before you my judge paraître devant vous mon juge but i resolved at last remembering your constant goodness to come to you i found your address at moscow believe me she went on slowly getting up from the floor and sitting on the very edge of an armchair i have often thought of death and i should have found courage enough to take my life ah life is a burden unbearable for me now but the thought of my daughter my little ada stopped me she is here she is asleep in the next room the poor child she is tired you shall see her she is at least has done you no wrong and i am so unhappy so unhappy cried madame lavretsky and she melted into tears lavretsky came to himself at last he moved away from the wall and turned towards the door you are going cried his wife in a voice of despair oh this is cruel without uttering one word to me not even a reproach this contempt will kill me it is terrible lavretsky stood still what do you want to hear from me he articulated in an expressionless voice nothing nothing she rejoined quickly i know i have no right to expect anything i am not mad believe me i do not hope i do not dare to hope for your forgiveness i only venture to entreat you to command me what i am to do where i am to live like a slave i will fulfil your commands whatever they may be i have no commands to give you replied lavretsky in the same colourless voice you know all is over between us and now more than ever you can live where you like and if your allowance is too little ah don't say such dreadful things varvara pavlovna interrupted him spare me if only if only for the sake of this angel and as she uttered these words varvara pavlovna ran impulsively into the next room and returned at once with a small and very elegantly dressed little girl in her arms thick flaxen curls fell over her pretty rosy little face and on her large sleepy black eyes she smiled and blinked her eyes at the light 
and laid a chubby little hand on her mother's neck. Ada, voix, c'est ton père, said Varvara Pavlovna, pushing the curls back from her eyes and kissing her vigorously. Prele avec moi. C'est ça, papa? stammered the little girl, lisping. Oui, mon enfant, n'est-ce pas que tu l'aimes? But this was more than Lavretsky could stand. In such a melodrama must there really be a scene like this? He muttered and went out of the room. Varvara Pavlovna stood still for some time in the same place, slightly shrugged her shoulders, carried the little girl off into the next room, undressed her and put her to bed. Then she took up a book and sat down near the lamp, and after staying up for an hour, she went to bed herself. Eh bien, madame? queried her maid, a French woman whom she had brought from Paris, as she unlaced her corset. Eh bien, Justine, she replied. He's a good deal older, but I fancy he is just the same good-natured fellow. Give me my gloves for the night, and uh, get out my grey high-necked dress for tomorrow, and don't forget the mutton cutlass for Ada. I dare say it will be difficult to get them here, but we must try. A la guerre comme à la guerre, replied Justine as she put out the candle. End of chapters 35 and 36